You're listening to the ProcureTech Podcast, your weekly show for all that's cooking in the digital procurement space. Yes, we've got the hottest startups, thought leadership and conversation from visionary industry experts and definitely no stiff corporate content. I'm your host, James Meads, procurement pro, digital nomad and ProcureTech fanboy. And now here's this week's show. Yes, hello and welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech Podcast, where every time we bring you everything that is fun, innovative and exciting in the digital procurement space. And we're continuing in our mini-series of influencers and thought leaders today, bringing back on one of my most popular guests from Series 2. Back in Episode 20, uh, Melissa Drew from IBM gave us a masterclass in AI and machine learning and really broke it down in easy to understand terminologies, what to look out for and what the different types of technology under the hood can do uh, and how they were developed. So I was really pleased when Melissa agreed to come back on uh, and take part in another episode today and dig in a little bit more to some of her background and her thoughts in the digital procurement space. So Melissa, uh, from IBM. Uh, warm welcome and thank you for coming back. No, thank you for having me. Fantastic. So, Melissa, for anyone that didn't listen to the original episode that we did a while back, just give us a really concise overview of uh, of your background, of your career and how you landed in the procurement space and what it is that you're doing now. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, 28 years of industry and consulting procurement experience. I'm currently a keynote speaker, board member for a nonprofit, and hopefully, just uh, later this year, I'll be a published author. So I'm really excited. Oh wow! About Can that. you spill the beans yet, or the, is it still a secret? The first are always the hardest. <laughs> yeah, the first books are always the hardest, which I completely agree with. My my experience or my first interaction with procurement goes all the way back to 1996. I was at Auburn University, I was getting my master's degree, and we received a grant that I was able to take that money and and develop an online database for the Alabama Apparel and Textile Company, which unfortunately no longer exists. But the purpose of this grant was to develop this online tool and capture and analyze and really understand the context of supplier data and supplier information. And at the time, this was first of its kind outside the public sector. And today, as, as you may recognize from the description, this is typically what we would call an RFI or some type of RFP. Right. And that was back in 1996. Okay. So, yes. so since then, what have you seen in terms of technological changes and how has that impacted you as you've gone through your career, I mean, obviously you came from that space and you're now essentially in consulting, but what have you seen as technological changes along the way in terms of the chronology and, and some of the key milestones? I would say the, the biggest change didn't occur until around 2007. 2007 is when cloud technology became very popular, very mainstream. It was no longer a trend within the engineering or the the public sector, but really sparked this jump in cloud procurement technology. And from there, we immediately saw a new 
flush of competition, not just within the United States, you know, with companies like Coupa building up uh, brand new technologies, but companies coming over from Europe because now they, they could all compete in the same space. From then, it was just this push of features and functionality. And then as we moved further into shifting now from full on-premise to full on-cloud, we got the, the APIs and being able to connect to different data sources and different applications. And then where I am currently is now the impact of AI technologies, how we're utilizing AI technologies to fold in to our existing infrastructure and now bring us into the future. And what we're seeing as this constant pattern is, is evolution. We're, we're constantly having in procurement technology specifically to evolve and change and adapt. And that adaption is becoming more quicker and more frequent than we've ever seen it. I like that word evolution because we've kind of gone from and, and when I interviewed Dr. Eloise Epstein a, a few months ago, we, mm-hmm. we spoke about this. We've gone from a very much a, an all-in-one suite-based ecosystem where we were sort of in the early 2010s, you know, roundabout, as you alluded to, at the time when Cooper came on the scene and really started to grow and scale and, and disrupt some of the existing players and carve out a market share. But it's almost now going back to best of breed or at least a hybrid approach where suites are becoming more modular uh, and best of breeds are sort of fitting into those suites uh, as platforms with with APIs that can interconnect. But it's it's been a slow process and a lot of these a lot of these sort of more newer age um, startups really started to come on the scene around about 2017, 2018 and then really escalated when when COVID hit with the need to adapt to more to more of a remote working environment and improve things like you know data quality and and online collaboration tools you mentioned that you're in the ai space now and we spoke at length at that in the in the last episode would you say it's ai as the area where you feel technology will have or is having the biggest potential impact or or is there something else out there that you think can can have an even bigger impact in terms of you know, how these apps and how these platforms will grow and evolve? I think AI is the igniter. So we've, you know, in procurement technology, we've become felt safe with those enterprise applications, you know, having all those modules come in from end to end in that supplier lifecycle. And the challenge that we're facing is that these big enterprise, you know, applications, they're not going to be solving every business challenges that, that come up. And as we mentioned, we're moving much more quicker and we're having to adapt much more quickly. And these larger, you know, these larger applications just can't adjust that much. So it's these startups that are developing these AI technologies that are out there specifically solving these small business challenges. And through the APIs, they're able to connect seamlessly into these larger these larger enterprise applications. So you mentioned APIs and you mentioned a hybrid approach. That's that's where I'm seeing our future. Our future is very specific to, I still like the, the fluidity and, and the connectivity and the automation of the process end to end, but I need to connect to different smaller companies, you know, startups that have the AI technologies that are solving those challenges that we just haven't been able to, to interact with until now. So the, it's not necessarily the a piece of tech per se. It's more the it's more the shift from 
from having a more hybrid-based approach with interconnected APIs where ultimately, I guess, users or buyers of the software can can cherry-pick which parts of maybe one of the more established suites they want to take. You know, if one has a particularly good spend analytics module or sourcing module, you know, beyond the more sort of traditional P2P functionality or S2P, S2C functionality that that, that a lot of them have. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, those technology, these startups are out there and they can jump into that, that AI technology. And the AI technology is able to pull together, you know, historic information and current information. And then the use of the APIs, which we didn't really have, you know, before until these last five years, allows us to connect to all these players. And in some of these more traditional suites, are you seeing much innovation in terms of AI? Would that be in your sort of area of expertise or, or do you still think it's going to be down to these more disruptive best of breed type of startups that can bring this technology to the forefront? Because they, on the one hand, they're, they're faster, they're more agile, but they don't mm-hmm. have the marketing budget or the connections that some of these more established suites have. Yes, Absolutely. There are, you know, if you look at kind of the big five out there for procurement enterprise applications, some of them have been using technologies within that AI suite. Uh, For example, deep learning, neural networks, machine learning, and some companies just never even thought about adding that into their, their footprint. So for them to go back and have to readjust and apply that in there is going to take some cycles. Some of these startups that I've spoken to or some of the small companies that have been out there, they've been building this technology for three years behind the scenes. And it appears that they're suddenly out there on the market today. But no, yeah. you know, when you talk to them, it's been three, you know, they've been really developing and focusing. It's just now they're bringing it into production and they're bringing it to the market. Yeah, absolutely. It takes a long time to bring something like that to market, doesn't it? Because it, the technology behind it has to be smart enough to be able to, for those algorithms to work. You know, you can't mm-hmm. really test it in live environment with paying customers. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. you'll lose them quite quickly, I suspect. Right. Yeah. Hey, so just a quick interlude to let you know about procurementsoftware.site. This is a new website that I recently launched to give you, the listener, a free-to-access intuitive guide to digital procurement technology. You can filter on a multitude of different criteria and pick out a short list of procurement software solutions that are relevant to your business and your needs in less time than it takes to boil an egg. No corporate subscriptions, no complex jargon, and definitely no pay-to-play model. We are a completely transparent, open book, and we really want to get your feedback on what we can really do to make this user experience better and constantly improve so as we're providing value to you. Check out procurementsoftware.site. And now let's get right back to this week's podcast. To what extent do you think technology is going to be the driver in elevating procurement when, you know, when we consider it in relation to other factors that are impacting us, like you know, the war on talent and the push for procurement to become more prominent because of the effects of inflation or, or because of geopolitical instability on supply chains, uh, the need for perhaps more an entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurial style of leadership rather than technocracy, which is typically being uh, the skill set within procurement. And then also, 
you know, increasingly now all of the requirements for sustainability, ESG, scope three, what, where would you place technology in that in, in terms of, you know, is it, is it driving or is it more in the backseat as an enabler? You mentioned um, procurement and you mentioned talent. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an, a real world example that, that's happening right now. Uh, focus in on procurement, you know, strategic sourcing, and more specifically, um, direct category management. And, and even more, I'll just give you the example, chemicals. When I was in procurement, I would be working with these chemical experts, you know, these commodity experts that knew or had 20 years of background really understood chemicals, understood everything about it. But I can no longer expect as a, as a procurement officer that I'm going to find that talent. And if I do find that talent, I am not going to find that talent with 15, not probably not even with 10 years of that deep expertise. So how do I, how do I move forward understanding I'm not going to get that talent? And that's where these new technologies come into play, you know, to be able to take our historic data, but also nearly real-time data, understand supply chain issues, weather patterns, weather challenges, you know, a tsunami over in Thailand could have an impact on a chemical that that we're ordering from a supplier in, um, in Asia. So, Combining someone that at least understands in the context of chemicals with the AI technologies, I think is the only way we're going to be able to, to really be successful in the future. And you also mentioned um, leadership. Leadership, and this is not just the, the you know, chief procurement officer, but this, the larger C-suite of the organization, they're going to have to learn how to become a front seat leader. They have to set aside time to really think about all these components and be open <laughs> to these sometimes what people think of as progressive, but these are no longer trends. You know, these are things that are happening and we have to make those decisions. And a front seat leader is not someone that can stand by and watch it. You know, oftentimes I say that if, if you have a leader that's doing nothing or saying nothing, they're really saying a lot. Yeah. I wanted to pick up on one of the comments that you made in that last answer around having that deep expertise, the example that you gave on chemicals. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that it's difficult to find someone now within an organization that has, you know, the 15, 20 years of subject matter expertise. What would you put that down to? Is it just something as simple as that knowledge retiring from the workforce? Or is it just that cost pressure on salaries has pushed down the the level of candidates that are coming in or that that sort of knowledge now is being outsourced to third-party suppliers as as big corporations, I think in automotive specifically, has outsourced a lot of design and research and development to its supply base. What do you think is the root cause of that? The underlying root cause is talent attrition. Okay. You know, specifically what you mentioned, these resources have been around for a while. They either got degrees in chemicals, they've worked in, in a, as a chemical, you know, expert, they've risen through the ranks, but over time they've stayed focused in the chemical industry, which gave them that expertise and became a very value added contributor. As that individual retires, we're not seeing that level of dedication to the chemicals category. We're not seeing someone who stays in the chemicals area for more than five years at a time. They then either not only move on to another company, but they move on to a different category. So it's, it's, the, it's, it's the challenge of these resources are retiring 
and we're not getting that replacement. And when we do get a replacement, the new workforce isn't staying within that same area so that they can become the next experts. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's it's deliberate in some cases as well, from what I've observed throughout my career, that a lot of big corporations do have mm-hmm. a policy within their corporate procurement teams of rotating talent every mm-hmm. three or four years. For, you know, And there are pros and cons of, of doing that. I understand why they do it. But one of the cons is that you're absolutely right. You don't get that deep subject matter expertise. And the risk that you run with that, with that happening is, as you quite rightly said, then the supply base will know will know more about that category. And the only way that you're going to be able to challenge them and have an effective negotiation is through having tech platforms that can that can do things like should costing and market research and, and deep category knowledge on things like commodity pricing, for example, if we take uh, if we take direct materials. It's somewhat different in the you know in the indirect space if you're buying something like professional services where you know, relationships and soft skills are, are, are much more are much more key. But but again, there's even tech coming into the marketplace now that can that can handle you know sort of more straightforward or more tactical negotiations. Right? I think the jury's still out in terms of to what extent we'll be able to replace humans in that process. But you know, the technology's out there. It's um it's it's in its rudimentary form right now, but it's there. Yeah, I, I think we should probably preface for the audience that we're not saying that the technology is going to replace the individuals. We still need someone there to understand the context, to make the final decisions. But we're, again, leveraging that technology to give us that deep experience. That's a very important point. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, AI and any sort of technology other than, you know, robotic process automation, which can, you know, automate or, automate or replace mm-hmm. a, a lot of transactional work. But if you're, if you're using technology to do a lot of tactical or, or, or operational research or data crunching in the background, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not going to replace the person, but it's going to free up that person or perhaps even require a different set of training or skills from that person to be able to then evaluate and, and explain and tell a story around what that data is is telling you and be able to present that to to decision makers within the company, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's a different skill set, isn't it, to what procurement professionals have traditionally been trained on. Yep. No, perfect. You've said it perfectly. I couldn't say it any other, any better. So Melissa, you alluded in the introduction that you're soon going to be a published author. Can you can you drop any secrets on that or share anything about what your book's going to be about? Yeah, so I I used to work within the, you know, the KPMGs and Deloitte's, which are more audit firms. Um, but now I'm outside of that practice and it's really opened the door to to do things like this, like talk to you and to to speak and another benefit is I have a publisher and I'm now able to write a book, get all that information I've always had out of my head, put it on a piece of paper, and then just distribute it globally, hopefully. The book is, you know, this, and this is the first one, but it's setting the foundation for what's to come. It's focusing on kind of what I alluded to earlier, how to develop the foundation for a, a, a transformation, but recognizing that you should only be doing this once. You shouldn't have to feel like you're doing a full-blown two-year transformation every five years. You really need to do it once, but set it up so it's flexible because we're working with technologies today that didn't exist 10 years ago. And five years from now, we're going to work with technologies that don't exist today. 
So we have to build this stable foundation, but flexible to adjust in the future to known and unknown risks, but adjust more frequently. So it's, it's, that's really what the book is looking at is let's, you know, really focus in on what's not working, you know, three bids and a buy that's not working. That's really (laughs) old school, you know? So I, I tear it down. I'm unfiltered. I'm direct. I'm honest. I highlight what's not working. I explain why. And then I offer some, you know, options for how you can improve. I love that. As someone that grew up in an English coal mining town, I like direct and unfiltered. Yes. <laughs> but yes. a lot of consultancies have got pretty fat off the model of, uh, of having two-year transformation every five years. So you're probably going to upset some of the big boys there. Let's, uh, let's wait and see. I hadn't thought about that until just now. <laughs> 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 so when's it out, Melissa? And if anyone would like to learn more about what you're doing, what's the best way that they can connect with you? LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn now. Um, even if I'm not doing anything like posting, I'm at least talking to people on LinkedIn because things change. You know, people go on vacations, but even when you're on vacation, you still have a have a tendency to check check LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, don't I know it? And and when is when is the book due to be published, or is that, is that still to be determined? I know it's. Uh, we're looking at early fall. Fantastic. Okay, so I will link to all of that in the show notes. Melissa, it's been a pleasure chatting to you again. Uh, thanks again for coming back on. And uh, yeah, going to be excited to read what you've got in your book. So uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to having a look at that round about autumn time. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So that was Melissa back again, talking about her thoughts of where we're going and some of the past experiences of what work, what's worked and what hasn't in the digital procurement space. Don't forget, if you want to get a full rundown and list of all the tools that are out there, we've got over 300 of them listed on procurementsoftware.site from enterprise right the way through to solutions that serve small and medium-sized businesses. It's completely free for anyone on the buy side to use. Just go to procurementsoftware.site and filter away to your heart's content. Thanks again for listening. We will catch you again next time. Until then, take care. All the best and bye for now.